Good evening, fine listeners, and welcome to the Bladeology podcast. This will be episode 24, part two of the Reese Weiland tapes. We are going to be going over the later half of the maker's career up until just about recent times. Thanks for listening. Sit back and enjoy. Bill. Well, okay. It was, it was the, it was the, I think the very first year they had the blade show in, um, Atlanta. Okay. So the first Atlanta blade show, uh, I came with, um, uh, actually an automatic version and, uh, nobody could pull the trigger. <laughs> oh boy. on it so we we had we had to develop what we affectionately call the wife test <laughs> hey you know there's gotta be there's gotta be a baseline that's if important. your wife can pull the trigger on your automatic it's good <laughs> yeah there you go i, I essentially have the same test when my dad started yeah. working with me i was yep, like here flip this it. okay you got yeah. it cool if you can work this we're good uh, and in fact, the very first ones, uh, the mechanism was charted out for me on my customs anyway, by um, uh, um, Bill uh, Bill McHenry and Jason. Oh, no. no kidding. And uh, yeah, I, I now to put a date on this uh, or or an age, I faxed them a draw nice. that they faxed back. There we go. <laughs> it's quick. It's reliable. It's not going to crash. You know. Found them. I actually honestly found for the CAD work, it's probably easier that way than modern day with photos and stuff. Yeah, well, actually, yes, it is because you don't have to print it. It prints then. But uh, I actually found those original faxes where they had kind of sketched out uh, and what. They, and the very first knives they were crossover pins. Hmm. And okay, there's a lot of people who the hell that is. No, no, they were button fired. Crossover pin automatics. And what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, da- I'm dating myself here. That's an ancient mechanism. But what you do is you have a button that's just a, a, a hat, a solid hat. And it, it's in a cavity in the handle. And there's a hole that goes through both liners. And uh, the, the hat sits on top of this pin that goes in this hole, slides in this hole. And that's your crossover pin. And that's what it means. It crosses over to the other side. And then on the other side, there's a plate, titanium, spring steel, whatever you're using. And uh, to that is mounted a sear, and it comes up through a round hole in the handle. And uh, that catches the spring. Hmm. And so you push the button, the, button, the pin pushes the plate, plate moves out of the way, spring goes off, knife moves. Uh, the only advantage to the crossover pin is that uh, you don't have to do any precision machining. You only have to drill holes. Well, you have to kind of hog out a spot under your handle for the, that plate, but that's it. Uh, it does make for a thickish knife. So uh, I made two or three of those. Ironically enough, I actually worked on one of those this weekend because a guy brought it in, wanted a, wanted a minor repair done to it. And uh, there's a guy down in Miami that has like 38 raster automatics i think he has every flavor that was ever done um, Good collector 
Yeah, exactly. Very good collector. Uh, uh, interesting character, since I seem to run into characters as fast as I run into anything else. He was uh, uh, either of you old enough or remember from your history lessons the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember uh, at one point uh, some Cuban pilot defected, flew a MiG-29 into Miami International Airport? Uh, yeah, roughly, actually. Yeah, because we had never uh, landed a MiG before, right? We just shot him down. Yeah. We, had a, we had a CIA buy, uh, steel notice basically out on it. Yeah. So the, the pilot of that is my collector. Holy shit. That's great. So listening to him, you know, and and it's funny because he, you know, grew up in Cuba, but he was one of those. Um, and, you know, you're out of New York. You'd know what I mean from the from the Spanish section. You know, there's there's Cuban, Mexican, you know, and they have a certain kind of a flavor around them, the way they act. And then there's old school, almost aristocrats. You know what I'm saying? They're 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 very proper. They're very prim. They're very polite. They say things a particular way. They walk a certain way. You know what I'm talking about? You might yeah, have been the older generation that way. There's a they're, differentiation there. Yeah. Well, they were. You know, they're just like, okay, and that's him. Um, hmm. But he, uh, his story was was kind of cool. He, um, uh, his whole family. Uh, we're all dead. He was alone. He was educated at the uh, U.S. Uh, Air Force Academy, and he was trained as an Air Force pilot in the U.S. during uh, the regime of Batista, who was before Castro. Right. And when Castro came to power. He didn't want to just kill off all of his skilled military, which pilot is a, definitely a skilled military. So he kept a certain ones of them, the ones that he couldn't say, okay, you're not against me and all this. So he kept them on. All right. And it got to the point the Russians were supporting Cuba with a lot of material and stuff because they wanted the deterrent against the United States. And that's where you got the Cuban Missile Prices. But the MiG-29s were relatively new. And uh, the Russians stationed some of them over there, and he was trained out on it. And uh, it got to the point where the because of the fuel costs, they would fly solo patrols solo caps instead of running paired caps hmm. uh, on my air patrol. And so he's out on a solo cap and he's like, you know what? It's time to see you. So he drops it down on the deck uh, and flies it, you know, right over the waves all the way to Miami pops up on the radar right outside of Miami international. This is a fully loaded MIG, by the way. Yeah, which would be seen as a pretty serious threat. Which is, yeah, which is everybody is was looking for the fastest bathroom they could find. And he just parks it on the tarmac, pulls it off the side, pops a canopy, sticks his feet up on the top, gets on the radio, said, I want political asylum. I brought your CIA a gift. Get so-and-so. He's the president. He's the vice president of uh, Eastern Airlines. Uh, we went to school together. Nice. Hey, you know wait, Why not? Power down the machine. So he said, so he told us, so Lou's like, yeah, the next thing I know, I got Army National Guard, I got tanks, I got all these guys, all these guns pointed at everything, and I'm just kicked back and going, yeah, come on, anytime now, find somebody who says, look, I want to I want to surrender, it's not a problem. On my hands, you can see them all, it's no problem, the, the plane's powered down, everything's off. I'm not a threat, guys, okay, come on. I'm not right. going to suicide bomb you. <laughs> so It's landed, it's not in the air, it's not live. That was his, that was his yeah, Bo, but they were, you know, I can you just imagine the, the flight controller? <laughs> Yeah, See, watch out. Like, 
Like, no! holy shit. Yep. So uh, that was that's Lou's story. But uh, Lucy Coral Gables, really, 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 really nice guy. Um, but anyway, uh, hmm. was so a good collector. Yep. Uh, now I forgot where I was going with some of this. We went. I took a sidebar on Lou. Oh, we were talking about the, uh, your curve blade, the hawk blades. Oh, the hawk blades. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I was. I walked into my shop, my little 16 by 16, remember? And I had, um, at the time I had two other knife makers that were coming over and hanging out in the shop and, and doing some work. Uh, one of them was, uh, Mike, Michael Smith, who still makes knives. Okay. And the other one was Roger Gamble, who never, who, who now has Parkinson's. So he no longer makes knives. Um, and I walked up to the bench and I leaned on the bench and all of a sudden I saw uh, a vision of this knife, hmm. of this hawkbill going into this hawkbill handle. The, the first thing I saw was uh, a fixed blade version of it. And so I grabbed a piece of paper and I drew the thing out and uh, Roger comes by and takes a look at it. And he says, that'll sell. And Mike right. comes by and takes a look at it. And he says, you'll never sell one. Oh, wow. It's either or. So I'm like, okay, well, I got a 50-50 chance here. So, uh, and I got to look at it and I said, you know what? That'll make a pretty cool folder. So uh, I made a couple of fixed blades. Uh, they were very well received. And um, honestly, the hardest part was the sheath. I would imagine. <laughs> that, and, uh, that and grinding it. Grinding it was kind of unique because you have to grind it upside down. Uh, or actually, your motion is upside down. It's still edge up the way I grind them by, when I grind them by hand. But um, you have to raise your raise your hand up instead of dropping your hand. And mechanically, from the standpoint of your muscles and your ability to support with accuracy, um, it's it's lousy. It's a really bad thing. Because you're, when, you're, when your wrist gets above so many degrees on, uh, at, from 90 on your elbow, uh, your, your muscles are not – they lose their uh, positional strength. And so, okay. you, uh, so you have a problem. Dropping is less of a problem because you don't, you don't need as much positional change. It's all, it's all, the, it's all the, the rest hand. But when you're lifting it, you're having to lift it, and it's awkward for your hands. So your arm, you have to, you had to try to train myself not to quiver when you bring your hand up and still hold on to the thing. Um, but that was how I did that. And uh, uh, so the first one though was the wasp, which was about three and a half, four inch blade. And uh, I was uh, I was at the guild show. Uh, in Orlando, and um, I don't remember the date, uh, after the brown bag incident. And uh, <laughs> did you in, did they, was the brown bag term invented by you no. <laughs> at shows? No, actually, the brown bag um, is a old um, uh, is an old numbers runner phrase. Mm. Numbers. Uh, numbers runners. Yeah. Uh, okay. You, you, you know, you can't. Um, 
you can't uh, unless you're licensed and now they have the concealed carry license stuff. You yeah. can't technically you can't carry a gun in your pocket without a license. It's okay. concealed weapon, yeah. right? Concealed okay. carry permit, right. Now, the way most of the concealed carries laws were interpreted, not the permits now, the violations. Okay. If it was in your pocket or if it was concealed on your person, literally figure literally on your person, sock, shoe, pocket, back of your belt, whatever, under your shirt, it was concealed weapon. That's the way the courts interpreted it. All right. Uh, now, there were some exceptions. Uh, I don't know which, but I heard that there were some different different interpretations of that. But in general terms, that's what they did. OK, but if it was not uh, attached to your person, OK, it wasn't a concealed weapon, even though you couldn't see it. So the numbers runners for the mobs figured this out. I figured out that they, because they all carried a gun because, you know, they're carrying a lot of money. Yeah, no kidding. All right, in a brown paper bag. Uh, and they put the gun on top of the money. Mm. Uh, because it wasn't on their person, it wasn't a concealed weapon. I like that technicality. And that's the way that got it. Mm. So. All right. And Plain Brown Raffer then evolved to, you know, we're going to cover porn magazines. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a Plain Brown Raffer today? Woo! Oh, man. Porn. <laughs> Which they have managed to get away from for some reason. I don't know why, but, you know, whatever. Hmm. Depends on the store, I think. I would I would imagine. All right. Where were we? Uh, the uh, curved hot plates. Oh, yeah. All right. So I was at the play. I was at the gator at the guild show and this uh, airline pilot comes up and he says, I really like this knife. This is a really nasty knife. I really like this knife, you know. And so he says, can you make it a little bigger uh, and can you make it so I can double edge it? OK, you want a folder automatic. That's double edged. That's awesome. a hawk bill. Yeah, that's it. No big deal. Okay, we're good. So I went home and I designed a little bigger knife and uh, and a little wrap around, and that was the raster. Mm. And you could sharpen about three quarters of the fall, of the false edge on the back if you really wanted to, if you're feeling suicidal. If you and, really uh, wanted to. Well, and a little aside about that, I, I made one of the knives for somebody else. This. Uh, Australian guy lived in the States and I shipped in the knife and he wanted it, you know, he wanted it double edged. Now the knife is weird. I mean, if you, if you, if you've done a lot of automatics, custom automatics, a lot of times you hand them to somebody, unless they're very experienced with handling automatics, they almost always open it the first time with two hands. Yeah. That's very but weird. One hand on the back. I don't understand why people think that. Well, they're afraid it'll fly out of their hands. Right. I've I, seen I, I've seen that so many times the last two weeks. Okay. Yeah. So now, the raster is a weird knife. When you close the knife, you can't tell where the end of the blade is. The point is at the ass end of the knife. But it doesn't look like it's at the ass end of the knife because the knife is so narrow down there. Yeah, it's like hidden. It's hidden. 
So this guy gets this double-edged knife, and the first thing he does is he wraps his paw around the back of the knife, and he pushes the button. And it quite cheerfully goes through between his web, the web of his thumb and his first finger all the way. I think he Ooh. said it was 38 stitches. Ooh, can you imagine that? All right, so I don't know this yet. I'm calling the guy, which I like to call people, did you get your knife, you know, because it's not technically legal to ship them, you know, you know the deal. Right. So anyway, um, kitties, now don't try this at home, please. This is not a very healthy thing to do. Um, so, um, and officially you should never use the U.S. Postal Service for any type of automatic knife because it's illegal inside, even inside of a state. Right. Disclosures. I like it. Yeah, we have now made the disclosure. UPS, on the other hand, it doesn't matter. Um, or FedEx. But because the U.S. mail is a federal agency, uh, your ass is grants technically, and the armed postal inspectors will come find you. But never mind. We digress. So I shifted to this guy. I don't know. He was down Miami way. And I called up. I couldn't get him on the phone. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, he's out. He's whatever. So he finally he calls me back. And he says, oh, oh, you know, how are you doing? And I'm like, um, I'm doing fine. Did you get your knife? He says, oh, I got the knife. It's really wonderful. It's a fantastic knife. He says, I just got back from the hospital. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? He said, um, well, I cut myself. I said, oh, you cut yourself on the knife. Oh, oh yes. You know, I'm thinking, okay, the lock slipped. What, you know, what happened? You know, pick the scenario that, you know, that's my fault that I'm OG. How do I get out of this? And he's going, oh, no, 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 it's nothing, nothing you did. I said, okay, so what, what happened? So he explained to me that he wrapped his hand around the back of the knife because he wasn't sure how strong it was going to be. And then he pulled the trigger and then he discovered that the, the knife was, per his instructions, sharp on double edge and that the point was actually almost in his palm. So uh, he said, but the, the ER doctor uh, told me to tell you that that was a very sharp knife. Oh, well, there you go. It was a clean cut. cut. Thank you so much for the uh, thing. Uh, I had a guy in my shop that um, really, really nice guy that he was subject to seizures. Now, uh, I didn't know that, you know, just blackout spells. Uh, I and, and all honesty, I didn't know they were that bad. I mean, because the man, after all, the man is driving over to my house. So I said, you can't be too bad because you're driving over to my house. You know, if you're really bad, I really don't want you to see you driving anywhere, black out and plow into somebody, you know. So he was, uh, he has this massive collection of Japanese swords, and he decided he was going to hand polish out a sword that had a little rust on it. Um, so we had this, we had this vice in a little back room, and he's there on a stool polishing on this thing, you know, three foot long razor blade. And he's sanding away on this thing. And I wasn't here. I had some other friends of mine that were, uh, messing around in the shop they were here and uh and this gentleman uh had a blackout spell and he fell and he shoved this that sword blade through his forearm about four inches above his wrist and out through his bicep in the back in the back of his elbow he stuck two foot of sword blade through his arm i mean it takes skill oh. it's not yeah. easy yeah, and uh, yo, we have a sharp knife too. But his whole weight hit the blade. Mm. So I understand it. Okay, now here's where it gets really okay. Really, so he pulls it out. The guy's going, "Oh, great, you know, whatever." They did it. So they want to call the ambulance. Come get the guy. And he says, "No, no, 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 no." So he takes masking tape. He tapes the whole thing up with a towel. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
gets in his car. He drives home. Now, he lives in Palmasia, which is about 45 minutes away. Drives home, gets there, tells his wife what's going on. She said, Eddie, you're dripping through the towel. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, he's probably nicked at least one vein in there somewhere. So they take him to the hospital. All right. Now, what happens when you walk into the hospital with your wife and you have a knife wound? <laughs> knife wound. Yes. Hey, did you get stabbed tonight? No, I stabbed knife myself injury. with a sword. Oh, well, they're actually required to call the police. It's a, it's a, it's a, domestic, uh, it? it's a, right. Yeah. domestic assault. Right. So he's like, no, now, you know, and uh, the thing that's hilarious about it is he knows all of the police because he was the, he was the sergeant in charge of the police pistol range. So he qualified like 90% of the police force. Then he retired from that and he went to work for the sheriff's office. So he like knows all of them. Oh, mm-hmm. you know. And so they're all coming in. He says, Hey, 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 no, I tried to tell this nurse Gloria did not stab me with a knife. I fell on a sword. It's fine. It's no problem. <laughs> I fell on a swear. sword. I, I hear it. I hear, I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I the doorknob was just rushing up to me, and I just I fell, fell into it. But he really did. He fell on a sword. It's like okay, fine. Sure. Yeah. We had one old man at a gun show down at Coral Gables, and I'm very, very thankful I was not there. This is before they did zip ties on guns. Oh, yeah. Now you can't go to a gun show. You don't see zip ties in the gun. Uh, You walk in the show, they check your gun, they zip tie your gun. If it's a pistol, generally, it's even going down the barrel. But uh, this guy walked in with a HK uh, squeeze cock. Hmm. You know, where you squeeze the handle and and it cocks the hammer. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kind of an exotic gun. So he hands it to this old man in his 80s, sets up first table at the show. And, you know, you know, typical 80 year old man, he's feeble. Those guns, they have all strong cocks. So he's he's pulling back the slide. Now, this particular show, uh, the front table faces the concession stand. The concession stand is to the left and the front door is to the right. And there's about 30 feet. So it's that this particular show set up like that. Okay, so he goes and he's pulling back the slide on this gun because he's interested in buying. He's asking the guy about it, you know, which is the standard thing. He can hey, what you got for sale? And um, he's ch- he's pulling it back to check there's not a round in the chamber, you know, which is just standard procedure. Right, yeah. standard procedure, just smart. So he's pulling it back and he sees there's a round in the slaver and this and the the he's got a death grip on the handle because he's trying to hold on to it. And he's kind of feeble anyway. The slide slips out of his hand. And mm. it fires. Oh. Kills an eight-year-old kid sitting at concessions. Jesus. Ooh. You know, and we were like, you know, total accident, but moron brought in a gun that had a round in it. Yeah. And the old guy's got to live the rest of his life. He killed an eight-year-old kid. Yeah, that's pretty that's, not great. That's some shit. You know, now I had another friend, knife maker, knife dealer, actually, uh, out of Miami. And uh, he was sitting behind the counter, minding his own business behind the, behind the booth. Another idiot comes in with a different gun. Another dealer that we will not discuss his brain situation. Sure. Almost exactly the same scenario, wasn't the same gun. And uh, loses it, round in the chamber, hammer, hammer, hammer drops on the way back to the, uh, on the way back to the thing. Uh, uh, and he got shot in the gut with a, um, um, 
uh, one of those expanding rounds. I can't remember the name of it. Um, like a hollow point or something? Yeah, uh, Hydroshock. Oh, okay. And uh, he spent... Super ultra rare. Yeah, he spent... Yeah, this is way back. He spent three months in a hospital. I had to stitch all of his intestines back together and shit. So, you know, I... Uh, and then I was at another gun show. Oh, do you remember Rag McCarta? Yes. Uh, yes. It's become very popular recently again. It's yes. one of the most popular materials right now. Yeah. Well, you know how they make it, right? Uh, yeah, they put a bunch of, a bunch of and dust it. and sand and they press it together and sell it to you. It's floor sweepings. Yeah. It's, uh, it's right. it, literally it's floor sweepings, rags, the rag, the cleanup rags yeah. and the various garbage they picked up off the floor, mix it in with whatever the leftover resident is, throw it in a mold, call it a day. Yeah. Rag McCarta. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's one of those in and out of Vogue deals. I always thought it was pretty deep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of neat. You know, there's some people now that go out of their way to actually make it instead of just making it out of junk. But. You know, uh, I mean, heck, you can make it in your garage if you're really feeling froggy and don't mind the mess. But because um, it doesn't, you know, you don't press it or nothing. Just get the air out of it. But um, anyway, I uh, went to a gun show one time and Rag McCarta was uh, becoming popular. And I had, I don't know, four or five knives with Rag McCarta. It's not a terribly great idea. Have most of the knives on your table, Rag McCarta, but what the hell. And my buddy Ron Miller is sitting behind me and he doesn't have any, he just has whatever. I think the big thing then was just regular black linen, you know, 431 LE. Oh, wow. Does that bring back memories? Oh, does anybody even remember the original designation for black linen Macarta? Negative. <laughs> nope. No. 431 linen electrical. Oh, linen. Right. Yeah, of course. Yep. Yep. 2% moisture absorption. Oh yeah. Uh, Anyway, so um, he had stuff and he's behind me, right? Now, we're at a gun show. Okay, so uh, um, it was just like, it's like, welcome to the Hillbilly Express. It was just bad. (laughs) Yeah, this guy comes up with his kids, you know, he says, man, that's a really neat looking, you know, neat looking handle. Um, What kind of wood, what kind of wood is that? And I said, uh, it's Macarta. I says, oh, well, what tree does that grow on? The Macarta tree. tree. No, the, the <laughs> Westinghouse tree. <laughs> it's rare. You only see it once it's, in a while. It's very rare. <laughs> you know, it's a special hardwood. It grows in highly polluted areas. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Filled with resin and garbage. I spent all weekend. I was hoarse. I talked so much telling people what Rag McCarter was. Even went so far as to write it all down and put it put next it to the, the knives. Uh, and, you know, I am doing this the whole time. And she took a cup and just sweeped up some scrap I, in your shop. I, I'm like, this I, is the prior. This is the post. really don't know. <laughs> you know, but meanwhile, my partner is behind me doing his best not to just howl. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, yep. McCarter tree. The the leaves fall in the in in the seasons, and then you pick those leaves up, and those are the, yes, yes, yes. That's you where recy- Westinghouse Micarta comes from. It's no. almost as much fun as corn cob. No, oh, yeah, pressurized pine cones. Pressurized pine cone, yeah, man. Pressurized no. pine. Cone. 
So this guy cuts himself with with this like double edged dagger hawk blade. Uh-huh. Just that seems completely poor judgment on his part. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, he didn't blame me. He just said it was a very sharp knife. I never heard from the guy again. I got paid. I don't care. There you go. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I care. I'm sorry you got hurt. Sure. But, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. it's like out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I had another guy. Um, I made one knife one time, and uh, I was fairly convinced the knife was possessed. Nice. All right. Uh, which was interesting, but you know, not in a good way. Uh, I, I call them uh, psycho sicky sickles. Hmm. And they're they're a hawkbill, but they're they're long. They're about two foot long. Blades, you know. 12, 14 inches. Then it has a handle that has a spike on the other end. There, there's one on my website, oh, at least one okay. uh, under, I think it's under sickle. I don't think it's called psycho sickle, sickle, but uh, in, in fact, it might actually be, it's been a long time since I've looked at my site. Um, is my site still up? Yes, it is. How about that? In that novel. It's a small thing. Uh, yeah. Well, you can tell I look at my site often. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, here it is. You're telling me you don't have Instagram or Facebook or any nope. of that stuff. No Instagram, no Facebook. Nope, 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 nope. I am a U.S. and a U.S. enabled version. Oh, that's interesting. You put that under sickle and it's not a sickle. How novel. Uh, no, I don't have that exact picture, but um, you can get the idea. Uh, the third picture down is one that's similar, was similar to it. If you're looking at the picture, uh, but anyway. Uh, the knife was possessed. Uh, and mm. I say that because I think I, I think that knife cut me three times making it. Not bad, but I got cut by the knife. And, you not know, bad. not great. I get cut occasionally, but it's not like I get cut on the same knife that often. That's a little unusual. So anyway, um, at the time, I knew this guy that was making um, uh, the guy. What he did for a living is he made sailboats. And uh, with a with a, for this company or working with this company, and he was one of their master carpenters. So this guy's working in teak and all kind of stuff like this, really nice nasty stuff to work with. But the guy absolutely knew what he was doing when it came to woodworking. Mm. So uh, I asked him one day. I said, you know, he, he was making me some boxes, and uh, I mean these boxes weren't real cheap. They were, you know, anywhere from seventy five hundred fifty bucks. Okay. They weren't they weren't cheap goods. Uh, so I, one day I asked him. I said, "Can you make me a coffin?" You know, uh, and I and I didn't want the Western style shaped coffin. I wanted the straight, like you see now, coffin. Okay. You know, that's a rectangle. But I wanted the domed lids with the domed inside and the whole nine yards. You're okay, talking about so, like a full size coffin? Uh, no, uh, um, about. Um, 22 inches long. Okay. A minute, oh, okay. a wood coffin, you know, the trim molding, the wood, the whole bit. I mean, we really went overboard on this coffin. His wife sewed, um, went and got satin and she made, uh, crosshatch quilted, uh, top liners for the, for the dished out tops of the, <coughs> uh, lids. We had double, it had double lids. So it had a viewing lid and a standard lid. Um, it had inset panels like you put in six panel doors. 
around the sides. I mean, it looked with the, yeah, the trim molding around the top of the box. I mean, the whole thing, this was, this was a work of art. <laughs> it was a miniature. I mean, yeah. You could have used it for, you could have used it for a coffin sample. <laughs> it was that good. It even had, it even had a padded interior and a little embroidered pillow that she put embroidered my initials on us. Like, Thanks. Was this Don't for a knife? Me. This is for a knife. Wow. Uh, and put little curtains around the edges on the inside, bunting around the insides. Oh, I mean, it was, it was way on the, if I could find it, it's old enough. We didn't have digital pictures. I have to find the original picture, but if I could find a picture, I'll take a picture. I was sending to you just snickles and grins. But uh, anyway, I had this thing at the guild show and the knife I had that I was putting in this was this long, elegant dagger. Uh, I think there is a picture of that one on my site. So Etruscan dagger. And, uh, but it had blue coral on it and it was, uh, and the bolsters, front and rear bolsters were fully engraved by, um, oh God, I think he's dead now. Denny Brooker. Denny Brooker. Dennis Brooker. Uh, fairly famous gun engraver, but okay. that's it. Doesn't matter. It was all fine line engraving. Very nice job. And I the think his uh, name is uh, he's dead now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's I think he is dead now. But um, anyway, so he engraved the knife. So I, I had this very very nice, very elegant knife, fairly expensive, especially for the time. And I had it in this I had it in this coffin, and it was it was fitted to this coffin, fit perfectly the whole nine yards. So I initially, you know, I I was displaying this. I had the lid open so you could see the knife in there. And the first half dozen people come by and basically were like. Cool coffin. I mean, I even made, uh, you know what a, a capstan is uh, for a boat? No, negative. Uh, looks like old ga- a glass insulator, but it's made out of brass. Oh, okay. All right. Well, they, they sell them in the hobby stores for doing the the, the strung uh, big mass boats. Okay. All right. And I bought a bunch of those and I drilled in the sides and I made, uh, I made pallbearer rails. Hmm. Uh, with the brass Pretty fittings, great. all polished with the rails. So, I mean, this this coffin was legit. Nice, yeah. So it had fall pro. It, it was a whole bit. So so everybody's going, cool coffin, cool coffin. Now now, please note, what are you not hearing? Cool knife. Right. Okay. So I go. All right. Okay. This is this is this is not good. So I take the knife and I I pick it up and I tilt pull it partially out and I lean it on the side of the thing with the lid up. It's still the coffin, but it's. Lean it up, and now the coffin's completely open. So the knife is leaned up on the edge, and the lids are up, and it's still there. Another six a dozen people come by. Cool coffin. Very cool coffin. Oh, man, that is neat. That is neat. Not hearing it. First mention about the knife. Okay, so now I close the coffin. I put the knife on top of the closed coffin. Another six, eight, ten people. Cool coffin. Cool coffin. I said, okay. Right, you know what? <laughs> now the last guy comes up, and it's uh, the guy's name is Lum, and he was a professional knife photographer. I don't know if he did it for a living or not. I wasn't sure because this is the era of Jim Wire. Mm. If anybody's old enough for that, uh, so uh, this guy was uh, I think his name was Bob Lum or Rob Lum, uh, and there was also a knife maker by that name, by or right. with a similar name. But this was a photographer. He wasn't an epic. So he goes, cool coffin. And I go, it can be yours. 
Yeah, right. It's for sale. He says, oh, it would make a really cool photography prop. said, it can be yours. You know, I'll trade you. Take some pictures of a couple of my knives and it's yours. Take it with you. So he said, cool. We made the deal. He, he picked it up, picked it up, poxed it up. The next person comes by, goes, cool knife. How much bought it? Oh, well, there you go. All right. Yeah, so that was the hint, right? Okay, now, the story's not over. I sent this guy a psycho sicky sickle and another knife, and I honestly don't remember what it was, uh, for him to take pictures. Now, he was in Texas. Now, uh, I understand, and I got this story later from his son, who became a principal part of this particular story mm. uh, in, in just a minute. He, uh, um, he, you know, and I figured out, okay, he, he actually worked – as a professional photographer. So he mm. had a actual studio with the lights and the whole bit. So we're not talking about the guy that goes out in the woods and finds a tree stump. Let's take pictures. We're not, we, you know, we're talking about somebody who's actually a pro. Like on take knife pictures for job. a So he was not a, well, I don't know necessarily full-time job, but he was enough of a pro to have multiple thousand dollars in equipment and, a studio setup that you don't just tear down and put back together. Hmm. You know, it's an actual studio studio with move around lights. Those lights back then, especially were very expensive. Uh, the modeling lights. Okay. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. he's there. Uh, and this is back in the day when you really didn't have, uh, in, in camera, uh, light meters. They were, they were, they were the professional photographers used a separate light meter. Yeah. You know, they didn't trust the camera. OK, so uh, they uh, so he's sitting there and he's taking the first picture he's taken is the psycho sicky sickle and he's setting it up and staging the lighting before he puts the knife in the frame. So he wants to do an overhead downcast picture and he put a black background on the bottom and he put uh, he had a witch puppet, which will give you a hint where this is going. And he put that down there and he was going to put the knife in the picture. Right. And he, to protect the knife so nothing got damaged beforehand because he didn't want any of the picture to begin with because it screws up. His, it would screw up his lighting thing. He was trying to figure out where he was going. He uh, he put the knife on one of those padded weight benches and he climbs up on a ladder to look down on this and check the light and everything else. And his son, who was a grown man, so it wasn't like, you know, a kid. Uh, his son is moving lights around so that he can get the right lighting effect for this area that he wants to take a picture in. Fine. Now I've set the stage. Okay. So he now falls off the ladder, hmm. lands on the weight bench. The knife now becomes Boomerang McGruff. It's spinning around, sailing across the room, okay. straight for his son. Who's standing next to a light stander? His son, not being a total idiot, sticks his hand up to protect himself. He catches it blade on right in the palm. Uh. Cuts him all the way down to the bone. Okay, so now he's got a knife that he traded for. He's taking a picture of. It's got blood all over that. There's blood all over the studio. His uh. son's hand has got to happen to. He's got to clean all that stuff up, get his son to the hospital to get his stitch back up. <laughs> And all of this for some freebie pictures. Yeah. Okay. I mean, good deal on your part. <laughs> it's not my fault. I got this from his son because his son walks up to the table at the guild show to return my knives. There you go. 
And his son's got his arm wrapped up completely in a sling sitting there. I'm going, man, what happened to you? And he tells me this story. Now, I'm not done with the possessed knife story. It gets even better. So all that's done. Pictures are taken. Knives are returned. Everything's cool. He walks off with his arm in his sling. And I say, well, you're going to restrain function in your hand. He says, yeah. You know. So it's like, okay, everything you know, could have been worse, right? Could have gotten killed or something. No telling. Uh, could have damaged the knife. Then he'd been buying the knife as well as the pictures. Oh. That would have been good. Yeah. But, um, okay. So sales. I get a customer comes up with his young son, 10, 11 years old. And he likes this knife, you know? And I'm like, it can be yours. <laughs> well, how much? He said, well, I had 1200 bucks on it. But you know what? If you want it today... 750. There you go. Make it home. Just it can be yours. So now at the time, nobody made cases long enough for these knives. Mm. You know, unless you wanted to get a rifle case or something. Right. Because nobody was making bullpup cases or you couldn't even do that. They just they, they just didn't make cases that long. You know, but as I said, the knife was 23 inches, 24 inches long. So it wasn't exactly short anyway. Yeah. And it had a spike on the other end. So it was it was a dual duty experience. You know, you couldn't just, you know, okay, fine. So I had a bath towel. And I put the knife down in the bath towel and I roll it up and I fold over the end so it's extra padded on the ends. And I roll the whole thing up. Now, do you remember posters? Yeah, like movie posters rolled up yeah. and like a poster. Movie posters or, you know, movie the poster. Sarah Foster whatever poster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, and when you rolled up your posters, what was the first thing that you did? Put a rubber band on. Band? No, you tap the ends so they're even. Oh, okay. All right, now, see if you can figure out where that's going. All right. Oh, he has, he mm. has this knife. Oh, now it's got a wad of towel on the end of each end. So he hands the knife to his son, hold this, writes me a check, pays me, bomb, dude, everything's great. He picks the knife back up from his son, and the first thing he does is take his hands and he slaps the end of the towel. And he shoved that knife through his palm. Wow. Right here. Great. In front of me, and I said, yeah, and, you know, and, and he pulls the thing out, and he's, he's holding his hand, he says, son, carry my knife. And he walked out. I never saw him again. I measured he went to the first aid station. Yeah. And that was it. You know, and I turned to my wife and I said, that knife was possessed. It was, was yeah, a little bit of a curse on that one. Blood. It was hung. It liked the blood. Mm. I mean, you got to figure that. That's it's three people. That sucker drew no, blood on three. Yeah. It considering just, it's it not was... using. You know, it was it just trying to do its job. Just trying to just do its putting job, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting. Yeah, we got some, we got some, we got some nice stories. Oh uh, man, yeah. I don't blame me. I, don't, I never called one of my knives possessed, but I do have one specific knife that happened to draw blood heavily about four times by the time I finished it. And then at uh -huh. some point, I was like, you know what? I can't even sell this knife to the guy. Just, I want it, I want it out of here. No. I want to go throw it away. I'm going to burn it. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to do something, but it's gone. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> no. The lock yeah. belt cut yeah. me. Oh, man. Was oh. dropped it, reacted, caught it midair, cut me again pretty bad. Uh, 
did that actually twice, dropping it and catching it. And then after multiple locks, spine whacking it and all sorts of things, make sure that it's a good knife. It's great. Yep. It's like 30% lockup. Yep. Perfectly enough lockup. And all of a sudden, I went to go close it, and it slipped on me, not even spine whacking it, and it cut me again. I was like, this knife is not coming out this door. Yep, yep. That's definitely thirsty, a drawer. man. I wanted that blood. That's a drawer. Yeah, I have it off the shop. You've probably seen it, Jared. It's one of the first knives that I made, but, like, oh, and there's man. no reason for it to keep slipping. It just, like, this knife was like, no. You ever, uh, it's just wild. Sometimes they just they just do that, man. Oh, they They're get designed for cutting. Uh-huh. Got any buffer stories? Oh my God! Hold on. No uh, stories. Wait a minute. Hold on. So, okay. hold on. So, how did we get? We got to. We got. Got to pull. We got to pull back a little. We bit. went sideways. So, okay, where do you want to go? All right. I'll be so nice. We, we got the. We got the hawk. Tell me how we got to the modern day hawk, which, which is well, the which more, one? Mine or my, mine or the bones? We can. We can. We can do both. Your your custom design was born. <laughs> And eventually, somehow, it turned into a Microtech Hawk or an, an early Microtech Hawk. Uh-huh. And but you've been you've been building that knife this entire time. I mean, uh, the Hawk is well, your design. To order, yeah, yeah. It's just my design. And and uh, the thing that was hilarious was uh, none of the salesmen at the Blade Show this year knew it was my design because they. Right. Uh, so you- yeah, that's yeah. like that's that's a that's a good. I want to hear that story, but I want to hear the early story <laughs> and just a conf, so just a, just a confirmation. So I mean, you are the designer and creator of the original Hawk, which was a very early Microtech collaboration. Well, yeah, he, uh, of- yeah. The only the only change that, uh, uh, in fact, Tony tried to change the entire knife design, and uh, faxed me over a drawing. And the uh, and the engineer was on there. We were on like a conference call, so he had me on speakerphone. And the, I can hear the engineer in the background because I told him I said, "Tony, no, it doesn't look like this." Redrew the thing and sent it back to him because uh, he was like, he wanted to. I think he wanted to cut the fin off of the top of it. Um, there was some other stuff he wanted to do, which just made it totally different looking. And I say, Tony, you just totally lost the entire flavor of the knife. It doesn't look like this. You know, because see, the original thing on the Hawk was, uh, you know, send me X amount of money and I'll build a run of knives for you. Gotcha. And uh, this was at the, this was in the, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how many, you know, iterations there were of the John Carruth era. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, and the, the, the David Campbell era i don't know if you know any of that story um and i only know that like sideways third bar uh i've had several interesting things well we'll talk about the hawks so we can go back to some of the other stuff you want the uh some of the other microtech joel perella stuff oh yeah the Um, vector yeah the the, well yeah I, i made all the prototypes for joel hmm and and tony modified them to into the what you see now so like the vector and there was another one, uh, they were based on the hawk, the the my hawk handle. So the original ones were in my hawk handle that size. Oh. So when Tony got them, he microsized them, and uh, Joel was never real happy about it. He just he just said, "Yeah, I've sold the design. I don't care what you do." But uh, he said, "I don't like microscopic knives," you know. So he so 
the ones that I made for Joel were all full size. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, the original deal redacted, which is a very small run, but it was all their machinery. So if they wanted to, you know, eat the time on it, then, oh, well, and he tried to redesign it. Like I said, he was on speakerphone and, you know, I told him, I said, no, that's not what it looks like. You know, faxed the bag and showed him what I wanted to do. And the, I could hear the engineer in the background uh, going, I told you it didn't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not um, right. Wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. He said, I told you it wasn't going to look good. <laughs> so, that's great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so they, they made it like they made it. And, um, hmm. but, you know, tapered handle, all that stuff. It's like, yeah, whatever. Kind of cool. Okay. Wish the blade was thicker, wish it But, you know, back in the day, then that, that's all they did. 120, 120K uh, right. blades was, that was, everybody did that. Uh, Emerson still does that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, although I think he does now, so he makes it a little thicker. And then uh, Microtech came out with a thicker version of the Hawk. I think the current version is thicker than that. And it's like uh, 150. Yeah, it's a little bit thicker. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, roughly five thirty-two. All right, so um, they go in and it's actually three sixteenths. So. No, no, it, it's it's one eighty-seven. Is that thick? That that's what I'm reading here. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think I've actually seen one in person. Anyway, he took the old. Uh, oh, I, I thought you were talking about the new one. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen the new uh, ones in person. I've seen pictures of them. I can just tell from the pictures the thicker blade. That's all. Hmm. So I don't know. Well, you know, good for them if they, they did them up thicker because, uh, you know, they, they just look better. The thickness. Get more, get more of a sculptural effect out of the grinds. Yeah. If you hollow grind them. Anyway, um, so. Uh, Redacted. All this. So Tony goes, all right, uh, I want you to come over. We get these product done. You know, I want you to come over on a weekend and I'll show you how to grind these. And we'll uh, we'll grind all these knives and uh, it won't take that long. And we'll just crank them out and. And they'll be all done and blah, 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 blah. So that was my introduction to the grinding block. Hmm. And uh, which Tony didn't invent. I, I, I don't know who turned him on to that, or at least I don't think he did. He never, he never claimed to have done so. Um, but, um, you know, so I get to one of, my, one of my early Microtech stories. So I go over to Vero and... Redacted. So... We're over there at Vero, uh, and I had the extreme pleasure of standing next to, um, I think his name was Mark uh, Ohl or Orr. Oh, Orr, the prototyper. Prototyper. And watch him make the grinding blocks for these hawkbills, according to Tony's design. Now, I'm looking at him. I'm going, okay, I don't know what I'm looking at, so we're just going to wing it. Yeah. And, you know, the block works basically like an inline cam. So it's, you're just transferring one surface to another, and that's all you're doing. Well, the problem with trying to put a hawkbill on a block that's a, literally a rectangle of aluminum is what kind of a grind are you going to get? Knife-making gallery? Well, I'm, I make straight knives, so it's perfect for my knives because you get straight grinds. <laughs> you're going to get straight grinds. But now I want you to imagine trying to grind a hawkbill where the grind follows the edge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to work. No. Make a, make an arc block? 
Exactly. Curve. Oh, he actually made arc block. Exactly. Yeah, well, I, it was a, it was a theory I had that I tried back in the day for when I was making fixed blades to to yeah, follow the tips. Sometimes the way around. Yeah, but, yeah, but that's backwards. With a hawk build, you can do it. Yeah. With, a, with drop point and with a a regular trailing point, it doesn't do it. Um, hmm. And if you ever want to talk about that sometime, just you know, just call me sometime. And yeah, I'd love to because Darren knows I make tons of jigs and fixtures. I'm trying to make a better way to hand grind stuff to teach my father to make certain models where he could grind them. Oh, I'll send you a picture of this block I made. I, I see. I, I didn't like the idea of having because Tony literally has one block of aluminum to grind one pattern, hmm. and yeah. every single pattern has a different block of aluminum, which is great if you don't mind spending a couple thousand dollars in aluminum. And a big locker. <laughs> there you go. Lock it up. Lock All right. It down. So what I did was I made an adjustable one. Hmm. And so it has two yokes and you can adjust it up and down. So you can reset it for different knife patterns. Hmm. So I have yeah, one block. Pretty much how mine's set up. For all the fixed blades. And then I just tilt the table. Uh, but the hawk bills, you have to make a, you make a curved block. And it's still a little tricky, but it, it it you don't have that drop wiggle kind of funkadelic going on that yeah, you that do. Seems so hard. Yeah. You, you got to walk it from left to right while arc, while roll. rocking it. Yes. Yeah, it's not as hard so. as you think, but it is. But it is. It, it's easier than doing it freehand. But it's it's not like. Especially, it seems to be easier to do freehand just because it's like especially now, them starts to. Stack not when you're doing when you when you got to think. Not when you're doing. Uh, two blades and they have to be identical or you got to go through five grits on the same blade and the whole thing isn't very wide. Mm-hmm. You know, so trust me, it's, it's, it's easier, but again, you're absolutely correct. If you, you cannot just put a, a you know, a grind virgin on that. You could put a grind virgin <laughs> on a straight block and they will get a decent result, but you put them on a, a curved hog block. No. It's not happening. No, it's not going to turn out that <laughs> amazing. Right. No. So, but the story behind that yeah. was this. No. So we're after hours now. Tony takes me into the grinding room. He says, okay, we're going to grind and we're going to do this. So he puts this hawkbill blade on this straight block and he goes up to the wheel. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to fake it by using the edge of the wheel and kind of wrap it around. And he ruins two of them. So he gets frustrated, slams them down and says, fix these. You know? Uh, so I'm like, okay. So I go and I hand grind them and all this. And I said, oh, Tony, you know, I know how we can get this to work. Let, have you got a piece of wood? You know, just a little one-inch furring strip and, and a C-clamp. You know, and this is when I found out that all of the toolboxes belong to individual employees and they were, every last one of them was locked. To be All fair, right. that's most machine shops I've been. That is most machine shops. I get it, but I mean, he supposedly, from my understanding, it was a misconception on my part. So I mean, it's not, you know, it's not. This is not a condemnation. It's just I just thought it was weird because I was used Observance. to observance. No, that's you know clear. What I'm saying? Yeah. And but you know, you're right. Most most legit machine shops, it's exactly what it is. Well, uh, it, even garages is the same way. You know, the mechanics have their own tools. They lock them up. Nobody messes with my tools. Right. So anyway, so he goes and finds this Russian spets. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Let me back up. He finds a piece of wood that's a, a furring strip, like used to, they they ship steel on, six foot long, one by three, piece of pine. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, and uh, 
you know, and, and he's got this big drop guillotine style bandsaw, right? And I'm like, okay, so let's just put it in the bandsaw, I'll cut it off. So what it's set up for metal, it cuts wood fine, it just cuts a little slow, big deal. Stick it in the bandsaw. And he's like, I don't know how to turn it on. Okay. I'm looking at it, I'm going, I can't figure out how to turn it on. To this day, I don't know how to turn it on. You know, uh, or I, I'm sure I wouldn't have figured it out. It was, it was probably some combination of strange buttons. Yeah, it was There's some weird. It must have. I mean, it was usually a, a little problem. lever light switch looking thing. <laughs> yeah, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. All of us pay cash and taxes. Anyway, uh-huh. um, so he finds a Spetsnaz survival knife laying on a shelf somewhere. Goes over, oh, props the thing up on the wooden stairs, and he hacks off a piece of this wood. And I'm like, okay, now we got the wood. That's cooler than figuring out the bandsaw, to be fair. Yes. So now, (laughs) well, you know, I give him, I give him points for, you know, tenaciousness. So then I'm like, okay, where's the C, where's the C clamp? So then he has to break into one of the toolboxes to get a C clamp. So we clamp the C clamp on it and I grind a a curve in this thing. And that was the start of the curved Hawkbill block. Hmm. And uh, so I, I got it to work. So he says, here, you take these home. You take, here's a box of blades. You take them home, you grind them all. So uh, I ended up grinding all these blades and uh, it was my first time grinding on a block. So that was a, a unique experience because one of the things that's weird about grinding on a block is your grind scratches directly overlap every time. They, there's no like off slightly to an angle. So it, it's hmm. really hard to tell you actually got them all. Hmm. You know, when you get to the fight, they line up every time because they line up every single time and you, you have to really play games to try and figure out, did I actually get all the scratches? You know, so and of course, they're Hawkbills. So you're like, you're rocking the thing and you're trying to do this. And, it, and it's and it's not as easy as it sounds to do that. So you're like, OK, so I grind all these blades. I send them all to Walter Brand. They're all they're all uh, hard. And uh, Walter was sat and finishing them at the time, him and his daughter. And uh, they bitched a fit, said, oh, there's too many scratches in these. We can't send them out. Of course, Walter wanted to start at 1,200 and go up from there. Well, there you go. I was like, why? You know, but whatever. Not my problem. He's paying Walter to set and finish them. In fact, I think he paid Walter double what he paid me to grind them. Go figure. Uh, But Walter's meaner than me, so I understand it completely. Mm. The um, Redacted. Uh, but that was after that. I digress. Yeah, you know. Right. Anyway, um, so I ended up getting them back, regrind all this, you know, blah 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 blah. So finally, Tony goes, "Okay, come over and get your cut, your 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 knives redacted." Oh, so did you did you end up grinding a thousand blades? Yeah. Oh God. As I don't even want to grind one of those. I was not happy. I was very uh, no. Actually, I'm sorry. I did not. I ground. Uh, like 250 of them, and he sent the others out to uh, – they were cam ground. Mm. So the first batch had had hand ground blades and also had machine ground blades. Oh, uh, okay. I think that was when he uh, – I think right about that time was when he got the burgers. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, the I – Burgers I could do those? Uh, yeah, you just have to change the configuration. They look funny. I don't think it could do a sweep like that. No, it doesn't do the sweep. It grinds it like a like a linoleum knife. Hmm. Oh, which, which made okay. him, which made them odd. More of a taper. Yeah, yeah. So it's more of a taper. So the the point winds up winds up thin. 
It's same problem with the old spider code police knives. Mm-hmm. Because you don't follow the grind line, the ed- the edge winds up really thin. Oh, in one spot, the point winds up like wafer thin. Wait, are you so, talking about the civilians? Yeah, no, the police. Well, the police are the civilian. Yeah, it's like a weird recurve hawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The civilian. They just no, ground the police, they ground straight the police is a standard standard one. Looks like Bandera. Yeah, the the civilian's like a crazy double recurve, like S blade. Yeah, like, then maybe it's that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I I always heard yeah, of yeah, whatever. It it doesn't really matter. So anyway, so we ground we ground all those, got all that done, blah blah blah. Redacted. And that part we won't talk about, so you get to edit that part out. Uh, all right. But uh, that's 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 it. So that's the story with the Microtech Hawks. Now I will say I did get a royalty. So when he redid them, he actually paid me. I want to say it was four dollars a blade. Uh, on all the uh, on all the nice sales, I I haven't called him yet to see if I want to be able to winkle out the the uh, the current royalty. <laughs> Redacted. Now the blade show. Uh, I had a one of my customers, uh, really nice man. Uh, he's ex uh, he's ex police. I don't think he's SWAT, but he's like career police. He had, he had to take medical retirement. But he was a heavy duty in denies all this. He calls me up and uh, uh, and he wants this is before this last blade show. Uh, he wants a all black. All serrated, uh, half and half, you know, a frame lock, uh, top scale deal, uh, Hawkbill automatic. Hmm. So I made, action. I made double action, uh, flush button, uh, frame lock, lock side, uh, clip, all that bit. Uh, and he wanted one left handed and one right handed. Because he wanted to put one in each one of his pockets, so if he had to, That's no matter so what pocket he had to go for, just, just cross draw, he could get it. That's okay, so, so got him. They came out. They they turned out really nice. Did you get to see him? Oh yeah, yeah you sent me a picture. Full serrated yeah. black blade, black everything. Totally black. black Everything's black. Very vicious. Yep. Yep. Hundred uh, K liners, a whole nine yards. Uh, yeah. Came out really neat. Okay, well. The guy went and took the initiative. Uh, the uh, apparently the Microtech squirrels uh, were walking around the show, and they spotted this hawk bill on a thing and said, "Oh, you ripped off our hawk!" And he's like, "No, no, 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 contraire, other way around. Grasshopper is ignorant." Yeah, because this was twenty. You're talking about 2019 Blade Show, right? Yeah. Like this is this Blade Show. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, has a funny way of working like it's that. It's hilarious. So anyway, they he he told me he says yeah the sales guy sales manager guy he said it was some mucky muck I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, you know he, he spent like 30 minutes drooling on top of the knife because he's, you know, and he's pointing out all the stuff. He says, Oh yeah. You know, I understand you guys came out with a, with a hawk issue. Oh yeah. Yeah, we did. He said, well, is it double action? No. Oh, uh, is it, is it, is it a frame lock? No. Um, is it all black? No. Uh, is it serrated fully? No. He said, Oh, well, you know, I got nothing for you. 
<laughs> like, oh, sorry about that. Like, that so sucks. After that, from what I understand, after that's when they came out with the thick blades on the thing. Which is funny because the Hawks are still uh, coil-fired button locks. Uh-huh. So right. at some point, it kind of does actually, in some way, come all the way back to square one. But whatever. That, that's yeah, well, he, he never I changed. I wonder how they grind. Huh? Um, I wonder how they grind the new ones because the edge that width is even throughout. Yeah, they, they grind them right. Um, I don't know. These must be still done on a burger, I would imagine. No? I, I don't know. Well, the burgers that I've seen and like how I understand, I don't really, not really sure they actuate in that kind of pattern. They probably might do. He probably has a nicer. I don't, I don't I know too much about them, but that's pretty complex. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a definitely a 3D thing. Now, what he could be doing is he could be interpolating them with a ball mill and grinding. Them. That's how uh, uh, Guardian does. Because mm. mm. uh, uh, they have sent me uh, their version of a hawk, which isn't really, really, really curved, but it has a curve to it uh, where they ball milled the bevels on. And I've ba- all I've basically done is just uh, grind out the ball mill marks. But uh, I've seen his production knives with the re- with the curved blade uh, and you can't see any tool marks in them. So they're doing something to it to take tool marks out. And it might be nothing more complicated than barbitory finish. Hmm. Stonewash for all your snobs. There you go. <laughs> it's custom. Man, like, uh, that's just far out. That's super far out. And that's the thing. So you still, you still make the hawk now. Like if oh, you're yeah. like, you're, you're still actively taking orders for these knives. Like, oh, you sure. never I got make, to that. that I make 12 part, different like, versions. Yeah. Like you don't really take orders. People call you up and they just. You you make knives for a living, like you've made every I type make of knives knife available for right? a living. Uh, I you know well I said earlier I don't know how many people caught it, but I Sarah, I I I call myself semi facetiously a knife making prostitute. Is there any I, type of knife that you are not able to make at all? Uh, I haven't run into one. There you go. There's your answer. That's the best answer. I mean, that's a uh, classical knife maker that someone can make anything. Uh, yeah, or, or, the, or the old expression is you can make the phone book. There you go. See? the um, uh, There are some knives that I have not yet made. Mm. Uh, I have never made a ballistic knife. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I have yet to make a double action OTF. Okay. Uh, although I feel confident I can do it, uh, one of the reasons is I, I did I did actually get somebody order one, so I'll probably end up doing that. Uh, I've been procrastinating. Oh, no, simply, he says, oh, one guy ordered it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, that's it. You remember knife making prostitutes? You, you just need the impetus to do it. That's it. Right. Well, some of it, you know, one of the things I would say that I I I, I don't know if I re- say I would regret it. Because on the other hand, it, w- it would probably mean a, a, a much more pronounced sense of poverty. Um, mm. You basically, I have no time to make a me knife. Right. Uh, a totally off the wall, golly gee, I just feel like it making this. I don't really have time to do that. 
So even time I, I come up with a new design or something, I basically am, uh, am selling, if you will, the design to someone who just simply wants something different and they have now ordered it. Mm-hmm. So the difference being, I know I'm going to get paid or I might get paid. Right. You know, so it, it's, it's, uh, you know, yes, it, you know, those knives are actually rather fun because they were a departure, but it's, you know, there, you know, it's, it's sad sometimes that you can't just go, okay, you know what? I want to make something weird uh, or I may want to make something different. I want to make this totally different design, which may be a total bomb. You know, instead you're in, you, you, you really can't, when you're doing this for a living and, and that's the living, you really can't do bombs. No, it's true. <laughs> you know, you know uh, not if you want to eat. So you, you which have is very to, important, which, which has a tendency to be important. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, so like, as an example, um, do you remember the Microtech Italians? Yes. Not, it's a I'm very complicated. Yes, I do. We and, had uh, one or two over the years. A very small, a very small little side opening Italian. Yeah. Is all it was. Okay. I made every one redacted and I made two versions. I made a big button and I made a, I made a scale release mm. and, and the scale release, um, the whole story on that one, if you want that story, uh, that might be pretty spicy. The Italians are a, very sensitive spot in the uh, Microtech collector echelon. I, I've been part of redacted. Okay, so for instance, just to just to wrap back around for the knife making part, most recently, I I hit you up um, for a design by Elijah, who was stupid and didn't join the podcast today for whatever reasons. But I mean, that that Bally song, you were able to execute. I mean, there's really there's no there's no portion of knife making which you haven't been able to cover and somewhat master. Do you want to say master? Let's just go for yeah. it. Why not? Well, I. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I And and uh, and and that's that's nice. That's very, that's flattering. Um I consider myself a machinist, even though I've never been trained. Uh, I consider myself a knife maker, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm mostly self-taught. And, you know, so what you end up doing is you end up figuring it out. Right. You know, and that's a lot of it. A lot of it is just figure it out, man. How can you make this happen? And, you know, I, I tell guys that come in, come into the, come into the knife making, they want to get into knife making, you know, I, I said, in the very first thing I tell them, I said, all right, well, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to buy a couple of kit knives. I don't want you to put them together. I don't care what they are. I want you to put some kit knives together. So the first thing you're going to do is you figure out, do I, am I semi-competent to put together a kit that I really don't have to do a whole lot to? You know, and then we'll talk about, you know, details. We'll talk about fit and finish, which is stuff like this. I said, okay, once you get to that point, I said, now, okay, here, here's a piece of steel. Let's make a knife. What do you want mm-hmm. to look like? You know, and, and, and one of the aspects of training people to make knives that I, I feel like gets neglected mm-hmm. a lot is, is the concept of style and design. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, 
you know, um, here's a little tidbit. I'm going to ask you, um, I, I am a horribly sorry. I'm terrible with names. I do not remember your name. The non-Jeremiah person. Um, Nick. Nick. Okay. I said are it like a, four hours are, ago, so it's are cool. You <laughs> a, are you a musician? Uh, skin flute count? No, I'm joking. No, uh, no not really. <laughs> Any kind of instrument or sing? It doesn't matter. Nothing? Uh, no, I played a little bit of guitar, but that okay. was a long time ago. Roughly 96% of all knife makers are musicians in hmm. some form. Oh, yeah, we were talking about this before. They actually are. I mean, you go, you just walk around the room and say, oh, yeah, man, I play guitar. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm a worship leader. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm a jazz musician. You know, Bud Neely's a world-renowned jazz drummer. <laughs> yeah, how does that work? It's like the the mental aptitude for music it's, and mechanics are very similar. Um, music and math. Oh, okay. It's, okay. Um, yeah, that makes it's, sense. It's, it's the same thing. And, uh, yeah, they tell you when you have a newborn, you play classical music for them and their math aptitude goes up considerably because it develops the, 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 the brain's ability to understand the relationship between all the notes, uh, gets the, the thinking process correlates to math. Uh, but it, it correlates to, um, if you think about it, it's, uh, connections and relationships, uh, so mm-hmm. one way to think of music is you can think of music as shapes. So how do the shapes go together? And certain shapes don't fit, so you don't put those two together. And that's Elijah one would way. have a field day with this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like my so, design's music. You know why you like now, that knife? Now, the curves of a lady. Yeah, curves so now, now you can screw with his head and go, dude, you just like totally missed it, man. <laughs> Oh, uh, he woke up like an hour ago. He's like, "Oh, my bad, guys." We're like, "Yeah, hey, you fucked up, kid." All right, well, anyway, so, um, but nobody talks about design. So, you know, yeah. so what is the nature of design? When you when you design something, okay, um, what I do when I design, just to speak of me, I design a knife, open, presentation up, and um. There's a reason for that. And uh, <clears throat> and part of the reason is I'm left-handed. Actually, I'm ambidextrous, but I draw left-handed. And go. I want, um, I want, you, you, have you ever explored the concept of visual balance? Yes. You know, as opposed to actual visual balance. So what I want is when I'm done with my concept, I want it to look balanced. If it looks balanced, it already gives somebody a comfort level on a subconscious place. If it does not look balanced, you will get responses like just something a little different or something's a little off about it or something makes me feel funny. But what if you did this? You'll get those kind of comments. But if it's visually balanced and balanced well, you'll get, you'll get, Ooh, that's neat. Oh, that's cool. And, and people don't realize it, but that's it. It's, it's, it's something about our hindbrain. It likes it. It likes it balanced. All right. And, and it carries over even into finishes, materials, the colors of the materials, you know, the whole bit. So if yeah. you have, you know, you have a knife that's, that's a pretty plain blade. It might be an interesting shape, but it's just plain. And then the handle is super colorful. What are you going to see? You're going to see handle. 
So something has to balance it out to make it appealing. All right. But nobody talks about this. Okay. So the second thing is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, try this sometimes when you, when you, especially when you're getting kind of annoyed that, you know, the creative juices are looking a whole lot more sluggish than they should pick a knife maker at random at a show and take two pieces of paper, two pencils and, and just hand one piece to the guy and a girl and, and a pencil. And you sit down and you say, listen, this is what I want to do. I want you to just draw a shape, any shape at all. It doesn't matter. It uh, doesn't need, even need to look like a, you know, look, just something vaguely knife-like. And I don't want you to fill in details. Don't draw in bolsters. Don't draw in nothing. Just, just draw a shape, you know. And then once you each have drawn a shape, trade papers. Okay, that's mm-hmm. weird. And you fill out their shape you the way you would fill it out. But your starting point is something you probably wouldn't have started with. Yeah, for the most part, that's how all of my – I've done calls with several makers, and usually that's I just vibration. take their design and redesign it, and it's essentially what I usually do. But you, see, you see what I'm getting at. So you do that, and it keeps it fresh. You know, I used to walk around, you know, back in the, back in the 70s and 80s, and uh, I would walk around shows and just take pictures of all the knives. You know, and, and the idea was I was going to go home and I was going to look at pictures of all, you know, I was going to look at the knives and go, oh, you know, I'll make this, I'll make this, I'll make this. And I realized that I did, I got home and I realized I didn't want to look at them. I, I realized that I liked this element from this knife, but I didn't like the rest of the knife. Then I like this element from this knife, but I didn't like the rest, you know. And so I, I would remember the elements rather than the whole knife. So it was never a copy. Yeah, pieces of it. It was pieces. You know, so uh, a little funny aside, um, when I did the, uh, uh, when I when I was making the uh, knives that will not be mentioned because there's a great controversy associated with them, the lock that was actually used for that was a, uh, was a Rainy Velotin lock that he put in a knife he called a Sidewinder. Uh, all right. And the Sidewinder was one. a, Right, it was a left-handed scale release that you fired with your right hand. Okay, right, so sorcery left-handed is that? Line, left-handed liner lock, but you fired it with your right hand. Yeah, it was upside down. Remember that knife? You you, you just squeeze your fingers against your palm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he he had this little mechanism in there that was the core mechanism in the LCC. The Greg Life. Foot, right, uh, collaboration. Like foot knife. right. There's the bolster release. The, the chameleon? No, that no. was uh, uh, the LCC, and it was later uh, also used in the Terzolo knife, which I don't remember the oh, name. Yeah, it was. Uh, but anyway, uh, I prototyped that mechanism for Tony. I got permission from Butch to use it. Uh, I was down in Miami at a one-off switchblade show. They called it the very adventuresome. SwitchCon. <laughs> That's great. I actually kind of like it. Wow. You know, uh, and it was it was a one-off deal. And there was maybe 25 people in the entire show, uh, oh. exhibitors, and I think we had a half a dozen people wander through. But um, the uh, uh, Butch was there and uh, with the knives, and I said, hey, man, this, this is really cool. I, I, I heard about this stuff. It was really neat. And he says, oh, yeah, here, here, take it over your table, take it apart. 
So he hands me Randy's knife. To, you know, I take it back over the table. I take it apart, see how the whole thing works. I said, oh, that's simple enough. And I figured out how it works from there. Put it back together, hand it back. and said, it's fantastic. He said, can, can I use it? Megan said, sure, no problem. Go ahead. Hmm. Butch, awesome people. Yeah, man, that's uh, uh, that's the, that's, the that's, story. That's Switchblade yeah. royalty. That's that's awesome. Yeah. People. They did not care. They did not care. You get give us credit for whatever, and that was it. And right. We're good. Redacted. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so the LCC was based on that mechanism. Oh right. Yeah. And um, what happened was, you know, the LCC it has a certain look. Now I was at the time totally unfamiliar. Well, actually, I still am. Uh, with Greg Lightfoot's knives. I've got no problem with Greg Lightfoot. I don't know anything about him. And uh, other than he's Canadian and has a very large Kite Express. Uh, and that's the extent of my knowledge of Greg Lightfoot. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so I had this thing and he, uh, uh, I did, somebody asked me to make a similar knife, but smaller. <clears throat> so I took, mm. you know, we're back to that flavor thing. I took the flavor of the knife. I made it smaller. I changed the angle of the bolster because I wasn't going to do a bolster release. I did a, I did a scale release or a butt or button release. I don't even remember which. And um, actually, I didn't think I made it as an auto the first time. I don't remember. But you know, I made it different, yeah. right? And so if you look at it, the bolster slanted the other direction because I want the scale to move, not the bolster. So you have to change the angle, or it won't work. Okay, so anybody who knows what the difference is looks at it and goes, it's not the same knife. But the flavor of the design was there. Okay, well, I had a guy taking some pictures for me because I didn't have time. And he took pictures and he took it upon himself. He posted it online because he thought they were really neat. All right, got barbecued. You ripped off, you know, ripped off Lightfoot. You, you know, all the people that have nothing better to do but sit online and barbecue somebody that don't know anything and never bothered to ask Lightfoot never posted so I got on there and I don't get on social media ever and that's one of the reasons uh, and I explained I said listen I give him full points and credit for the inspiration to do this I made this knife not only is it smaller which granted you can't tell from the picture but the bolster slanted different it is not a copy of his knife it's even ground differently and so you know I'm sorry, but if you want to call it a tribute, it was certainly inspired by him, and I gave him full points, greatest, blah, 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 blah. So uh, at the Guild show that very same year, months later, I went over to his table with one of the knives, and I said, listen, here's the knife, because he still never posted anything. And and oh, the whole okay. thing could have stopped right away if Greg had somebody called him, if Greg had said, that's not a copy of my knife. That's all he would have had to say. You know, especially after I got on there and I said it was inspired, but it's not a copy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not, again, I'm not carrying grudges. It's just, okay, whatever. So I went up to his table and he just, he didn't say anything to me. So I have no idea what was going on with that, but like, that's weird. You know, he made a lot of money off those off those LCCs, but uh, I come to find out later that his version of the knife actually was smaller than the Microtech LCC. Oh, it was very similar to the size that I actually drew up and designed, never having seen his knife. Right, having the flavor of the LCC, uh, but the bolsters were different direction. And everything else, those were those things were different, and there were other differences, but 
it was not, you know, it was uh, fairly, uh, it was, it was closer, but still it was total misunderstanding that could have been straightened out in 30 seconds. If you, you know, if they'd have bothered to post uh, the other, I had another one, a guy posted, um, it comes up on search engines occasionally. Now, Reese Wilder stole $2,000 of my knives. And this guy goes this long rant about he sent some knives for customization like this. And uh, and his entire post takes up the entire first page. Little known little tidbit. Most people who look at website stuff never look at page two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people like reading the first page. Well, they never read the second. Like reading just the title. Oh, he must be guilty. It's posted on the net. You know, so somebody calls me because, again, I'm not on social media. I, actually, I think it was on Blade Forms. So somebody called. I'm not even on Blade Forms. Somebody called me up and said, uh, said, hey, you know, you got this and this and this. So I go on and read it. I said, OK, wait a minute. Uh, you know, so I, I, I posted which page two, <clears throat> you know, and I explained that. Yes, your knives are right here. They're not gone. They haven't been sold and done. All the customization is, is everything is finished. There's a little bit of work left to some of this. But uh, unfortunately, you did not send me any contact information in the box with any of the knives. And eventually the box got lost and I didn't know who you were. It does happen. It does. So I was like, I wasn't going to post, hey, does anybody own these knives? <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna. That would work. Yeah, everyone's like, those yeah. are fine, absolutely. But you know, and the guy got on. He, you know, he got his stuff. He said, "Oh, beautiful, fantastic, great touch." You know, but the first thing he didn't do is he didn't take the post down. Yeah. And the second thing was, as I said, nobody looks at page two. Right. I actually had somebody order something, go online, see that, and cancel the order. Mm. And I, asked him, I said, honestly. "Did you read page two? And the guy didn't say anything. He just hung up on me. Probably totally yeah, embarrassed. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But that's, you know, let that be a lesson, kiddies. Do nothing remotely that can be construed as a problem on the internet because it's forever. Yeah, right? It's never going to go away. Oh, my God. It never goes away. Unless I mean, you it's just it's, it's wild. It stays up there forever or for fairly a very it long floats, time. It floats around in digital land forever. Mm-hmm. And it pops up on the search. You'll, you'll be on, you'll have it on search. I mean, it's, um, you know, I get a real trip. I used to get, I used to get cross hits with uh, uh, Reese Wyland of the Stone Temple Pilots. Nice. There you go. Huh? So nice. I have like. Rockstar fame, man. Five million hits. <laughs> On my name, going really? Like, wow, that dude's a knife maker. That's crazy. Damn. Good time. Yeah, makes knives. Send nice. me a penny for every hit. I'm good. I love it. Start paying me for them hits. Yeah. All right, we have definitely. What else? Um, at this point, I'd say we're at modern times to where you're what you were working on actually now and not over the last 30, um, 40, or 40 years. Yeah, 40, 40 plus. Um, currently, uh, I am making um, uh, the Dire Wolves, which is the uh, third, fourth iteration of the Wolverine. Started out with that. Uh, I have been doing that. Uh, I was doing a lot of flippers. Uh, but the flippers 
evolved order wise into jumbo, you know, three eighths, half inch, one inch, which, you know, is fine. I'll, you know, I'll make whatever you want. You're a customer. You call up. I want that. Hey, no problem. We'll build it. I'm good. Uh, I've started to see upticks in, um, you know, for the last 10, 12, maybe even 15 years, it's all been, uh, you know, um, it's been flippers and tactical knives. Um, and, you know, it, before that, it was heavy into automatics. Mm. And uh, I am seeing, from an order standpoint, automatics are now picking back up uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, back in style, man. That. Yeah, they're back in style. Well, and I, I think it really boils down to uh, it's different. There's not a lot of people doing them. And I want it because it's different and not a lot of people doing it. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that, that's a plus. I mean, I, I think that's a really good thing. And, uh, I liked, I liked building snackomatics. Very okay. good. You know, um, I do. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I won't say they're easy, but they're, you know, there's aspects to them that, uh, are a lot easier to deal with than, uh, you know, internal stop pins. <laughs> but uh, oh man, yeah, set up that rotary, man. Set up that rotary. Well, it's it's not that. Um, I have less issues with the lock than I do with uh, slightly out of tolerance pivots. Or mm. uh, here's a good one: shrink or expansion of the blade hole. In okay, are you familiar with barrel laps? Yeah, I'm just too lazy. <laughs> They're five dollars on McMaster. It'll literally fix that issue. Give me polished holes. Everyone like most knife makers, as you mentioned before, are self-taught and not machinists. And uh yeah, six no, years I, ago I, machinist showed me what one was and then changed my life. Yeah, I've uh it's been a while. I've got uh I've got the wonder grit and all that stuff. I probably ought to just do it. I'm just lazy. I I literally have a drill set up just for it. Every knife gets lapped. I actually read my holes undersized to where the yeah. pivot tightly How fits much? in there, which actually is like a press fit. Two tenths or half thou? Uh, uh, half, like five, uh, five tenths, so a half thou. So yeah, the pivot thou. will go in there, but you have to like put press fit it almost with your finger. When you heat treat it, the pivot actually no longer fits because it shrinks a hair. And then like the two, steel, three passes yeah. with the lap. Yeah, it, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But you know yeah. what I mean. And two, three hits with the lap, you get a perfect mirror polish hole. It'll take out any of the 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 off roundness to it yep, yep, yep. Uh, and it just feels better and this way i don't really have to worry about it anytime the pivot doesn't fit because as you and me know no matter how good the machinist is every time they're like oh my pivots are to it's, within the tenth yeah i'll put five they never are they never i'll have play. knives where a pivot is loose in that blade and i'll put a different pivot in there and it's perfect and another one uh, is tight it's, right that's why i use and the it, and I just fit into that pivot. uh i will have to do that i will have to do that you're just using um you're just using a sleeve lap, just a round rod with the slots, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, just the black round rod and the brass sleeve. Don't get the don't get the blind ones. Get the through hole ones. The blind ones are pretty garbage unless you need it for that specific task. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any. I don't have any blind holes. I need to do anything. Yeah, they're they're like nine dollars on McMaster and then five dollars for replacement sleeves. They're 
life changing. I need oh, so they're, they're, they're abrasive sleeves, actually? No, it just brass. And then I, I got like 800 grit lapping compound from knife, USA Knife Maker. Or before that, I used to just. Stuff, yeah. Valve grinding yeah. compound. But the fine. Yeah. One. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I just it, it doesn't take much grinding and polishes it out. It's 800 grit on USA yep. Life Maker. Yep, yep. Uh, in a pinch before that, I used to just take a, a polishing compound block and shave it with a razor and mix it with some cutting oil. That worked too. Yeah, just, yeah, that would work. If you don't have anything else. Yeah, I got some diamond paste, some other stuff with it. I'm just basically sure, diamond. Like- diamond paste works too. If it's not yeah. crazy fine. That's why I tried first, then I realized it was like a hundred thousand or whatever micron it was. I was like, "Oh, this does nothing." Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll have to try that because that—that's—that's that's one of the annoying little tidbits. Because you can get the lock, you know, which is really kind of a pinch lock. And if you got, if you're a thou out on your on your pivot, you got a damn rock. It rocks, and it'll drive you nuts. Yeah, that's why I tend to just ream it to fit, heat treat, shrinks it, and then lap. every knife gets lapped. And I, I'd say okay. most, most knives that I make out of heat treat, the, the pivots don't fit. And my dad, always he's the one who laps them out. He does initial assembly, and then I check them before lock and detent to make sure there's no binding issues in their center. And he's like, oh, he's like, you're making these pivots tighter and tighter, and I have to keep like, right. winding out the slaps to get up to go. I'm like... It just seems to work better that way. Like if I if I lap them to fit, I don't have any weird binding issues. Like don't have any weird binding issues, right? Yeah. Let it go. I got a I got a question for you. You might have run into. Um, I buy um, on size uh, or two tenths under uh, quarter uh, carbide reamers because they don't drift out. Now I'm talking about mm-hmm. handles now. Okay, I mean I use them on the blades too, but. Like I said, you know, you, they, you you get shrink or they expand, then you're you're screwed. So I'm definitely going to look into the lap deal. Um, but the the liners, and we're talking about frame lock liners. We're not talking about thin stuff. Um, I like the stupid reamers. The reamers are on. I mean, you know, two fifty zero zero on, uh, and yet. And I might I might a pivot at two fifty zero or two forty nine six won't go through the freaking hole. And well, for the life of me, I can't figure out what's going on. Run the reamer back through the uh, hole and it just falls. How old's the reamer? Oh, four months, five months. Do you do a Hold lot of hardened blades with it? Out. No, I don't do any hardened blades with it. I use it on. The okay, question is, what size is the hole prior? Um. One for uh, no, it's not that much. It's roughly twenty k under. Uh, like, like so, 20, I'm not doing that. Or two thousand. I'm reaming twenty k. So that's a lot. So the, the hole is about two thirty prior. Yeah. Okay, so usually a lot of guys do like two thousand under, and I always tell them, but a reamer wants to cut. Yeah, no, it is two thousand. If, if it's not enough, now you might actually be on the other side. Yours might be a little too, bit too rough of a cut. To where it's actually uh, deflecting, but undercutting. Yeah, it might be too much of a cut if it's like two thirty. It might actually be deflecting. You might be pushing the reamer through and not cutting necessarily. I'd go with something that's like two forty, two thirty eight, like ten to twelve thou under. Yeah, so yeah, okay, so roughly the ten. Oh, so are you clamping the reamer? I mean, are you clamping the blade or you're holding it with your hand? Uh, I'm just hand holding it, but it's uh, it's steel on that's steel. The, it's not. Yeah, that's what you want. It's not a piece of wood. Do. 
Uh, I had the honestly when I was did stuff manually, I had that issue a lot, and it, it would it depend on the reamer I was using. Some brands did it, some brands didn't, because again, your your caliper is only so accurate to whatever tent it is. Uh, well, I would use a caliper, use a barrel mic for that, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I got, I got you. But uh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really it's hard ma- to measure mainly, a reamer. It's mainly the deflection aspect of it. The whole size matters greatly. I think your yours is a little too small prior. Okay. Uh, so it's not getting get a little clean closer. Cut. Get, a, get around ten but or twelve. Honestly, I had that issue. Like I said, I had that issue a lot when I first started until someone introduced me to the barrel lap. And mm-hmm. I literally have a cheap forty dollars drill dedicated to this barrel lap because I use it every night, every day. And the little little jar with compound right on there with a toothpick, and I just every like two three knives, I put a little bit of compound on there. I've had the same ten dollar jar for five years now, and one or two passes. Usually, I like to go one pass on one side, flip the blade over, one pass the other side, test it, get it called the compound out, test it, see where I'm at. And those laps, I'd say, last me about fifty sixty blades, mm-hmm. and that's hardened blades, and I lap every blade, and they're four or five dollars a piece. The, they're just the sleeves. I've had the same shaft forever. Mm. Okay, so Matt Carr, Barrel Lab. Redacted. Reese, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. It's It's been a pleasure. I, I hope, and I think we have covered uh, the myriad subjects and, and, and historical points that uh, that dot your, your timeline and, and your ongoing knife-making career. Uh, it's, it's certainly been a pleasure pleasure to, to go on and, and, and discuss this with you. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, like I said, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoy talking and reminiscing about the stuff. Um, uh, you know, just talking about some of the old timers and some of the old stories and the, you know, just general stuff. I mean, it's just fun. And it's just stuff people don't know, you know, they don't know anything about it. But uh, yeah. I'd also like to talk sometime about, uh, you know, I don't know that it just, it's probably beyond the scope of what you're doing, mm. but um, I'd like to talk sometime about, you know, some of the, some of the solving some of the problems. Sure. No, I, I think I'd, it'd be great to have you back on, on or, or yeah. we could. Now, seriously, you were a great speaker. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. We could always, we'd always do a follow up about specific Um, specific topics yeah yeah and i mean that's cool because uh you know just like we talked about you know doing the doing the grinding thing and all that i mean uh you know i I, you know you sound like you're a jig guy and uh you know we got here's my shop everything has specific tasks i like dedicated machinery and everything i I buy machines and just custom modify them to my tasks (laughs) you're the you're the you're the tool guy uh do you know uh leon Pittman? No. Uh, the worm. <laughs> and he calls himself that. Uh, he oh. made a knife called the worm. Mm. And uh, way back in the day. But Leon is is Mr. Jig and Fixture. He's he's a very, very good friend oh. of uh, Melvin Pardue. Oh, all right. Okay. So, oh, okay. Now I know because I'm like, the worm knife. I heard that. Melvin heard that, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, you know, deep south, cut it with a knife. Uh, he came up to me at the Blade Show a couple of years ago. I hadn't seen him in like 15 years. I said, I bet you don't know who I am. And I said, I said no, I don't, you know, because he he's one of these people that's very nice and doesn't fill out his name tag. Don't you just oh, love yeah. that? It's like, okay, who the hell are you? You look familiar, vaguely. Who are you? 
and you're trying to not be embarrassed because you don't know where they are. Uh, and he said, I'm Leon Pittman. He said, oh, my God, I've changed you in ages. <laughs> what are you doing? I thought you were dead. <laughs> and I grinned, ah, I thought you were dead, man. I didn't hear from you. He's making compound bows now. He's not even making knives. Whoa. Doing four million a year making compound bows? What? I can suffer. Uh, somebody's going to do it, you know? I could suffer through that. That's good times. Yep. Well, on that note, um, yeah. uh, I'm Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. You could find me at NCC Knives on Instagram, nccknives.com, or my email, nccknives at yahoo.com. Right on. Uh, and on that same note, uh, Reese, what's the best way for people to find out about your knives? The website? Uh, Reese Weiland Custom Knives uh, comes up, and uh, my email is ReeseWeiland at iCloud.com. It's really hard. All right, I will. I will definitely post that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sign off. This is Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Uh, Reese, it's actually so much for late for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is our normal times. Is oh, it really? God. So everybody, everybody talks for five hours. Oh, no, I'm usually working in the shop at two in the morning. So, yeah, I kind of got past that stuff, but I feel you. All right. I'm going to take my old crustacean body here and take a shower and pretend I remember what sleep was like. There we go. <laughs> Call back All anytime, right. set it up again, whatever. And Jeremiah, you want me to box this thing up? And that concludes our interview with knife maker Reese Weiland. This was part two of episode 24 on the Bladeology podcast. From everyone over here to everyone over there, just remember, wear your safety glasses, tuck in those detent tracks, and thank a knife maker. Fair little nuance, then, eh? Fair little nuance, then.